In the quiet of the night, it sits. In the still of the day, it waits, seeking out its next victim, searching for the next opportunity to inject sickness into someone or something that was once healthy. Its safe haven built from feces and deadly substances are breeding grounds for malaria, dung fever, parasites, and bacteria that kills. As many as 3.4 million people die as a result of it and its cousins' diseases each year. I bet you're wondering what this is. It's water. Something you usually wouldn't think of as being dangerous, but this specific water is stagnant water. It can cause severe pain, serious illness, and can even physically impair the body. In the worst situations, it kills. Now, some of you may be wondering why I'm on stage today talking about stagnant water, and I'll get to that in a bit. But first, I just wanted to say, welcome to Element Church. My name is Brielle Lidka, and I am the worship director here. And I am so honored and excited to be able to bring you guys a message today that has been heavily weighing on my heart. The reason I chose to talk about stagnant water is because it's a perfect example of what our faith can become when we allow ourselves to become unaware of our surroundings. Stagnant water occurs when water stops flowing. It was at one point moving, but buildup from its possibly hazardous environment has brought it to a halt, making that once flowing water into one of the most dangerous things you can encounter in the wilderness. It's a hidden enemy that we don't always realize is life-threatening, and it perfectly describes one of the most dangerous enemies of Christians, complacency. Now, if you're wondering what complacency is, complacency means pleased, especially with oneself or one's talents, often without awareness of some potential danger or defect. Or it can be summed up as satisfied and comfortable. And just like stagnant water has the power to inject sickness into someone or something that was once healthy, Proverbs 132b in the message says, Carelessness kills, and complacency is murder. Carelessness kills, and complacency is murder. Our big idea for the day is taken right out of this proverb. Complacency is murdering the church. Now, Christian persecution looks different all throughout the world. For example, in the Middle East, a Christian woman watched a hardest nail her husband to the front door of their home when he was still alive. People in Nigeria have been described as a people walking straight into the slaughterhouse in prostitution after accepting Jesus. And in Yemen, accepting Jesus means complete betrayal of your community and family, which turns into persecution and murder from those you love and care about most. America's persecution can't really compare to this. In America, when we become a Christian, we celebrate because religious freedom is what founded our country. But the persecution we do experience, the murder or killing Christians on every block in every community, is an assassin that could be stopped if we took the time to look deep within ourselves and be convicted by our own complacency. As we dig into this topic of complacency, the main scripture we're going to be looking at is Matthew 25, 14 through 30, the parable of the talents. So let's jump into it. Matthew 25, 14 through 15 says, Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. 
He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. So in these verses, the master calls together his servants and entrusts his money to them, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And even though he divided up the money, the same amount of trust was given to the first servant, the second servant, and the third servant. And in return, the same amount of faithfulness was required of them all. I don't know about you guys, but this sounds a lot to me like the church. In this parable, when breaking it down, the master in this story is God, and the servants are followers of Jesus. Just like these three servants, God has called us together into one place and has entrusted each of us with different strengths and gifts and talents according to our own abilities. When we gather together on a Sunday, there is no way that any of this could happen without the strengths and gifting of so many volunteers. Without our eKids team, our production team, our hospitality and the safety team, and our list goes on, Element would be in utter chaos. But it's because we strongly believe in our core value, it matters. No matter what you're doing in the church, it matters just the same for the church. And we live by that. We are all given different abilities and different strengths to be used for the kingdom of God. God has entrusted each of us with different gifts to be used to extend his kingdom to all of Wyoming and to all of the world. But in order for that to happen, it requires our faithfulness. Just like it required faithfulness of the three servants to take care of and invest their master's money. And since all that the servants had belonged to their master, all that we have, in the end, belongs to God. So wouldn't we ultimately be disobeying him if we chose to not to use our gifts to serve him? The Greek text indicates that the one bag of silver that was given to the third servant was equivalent to 15 years worth of wages. That means that the five bags given to the first servant equaled 75 years worth of wages. That's a lot of money. And I don't know about you guys, but when you serve at Element and when you're serving the kingdom of God, you aren't taking care of money. You've actually been entrusted with something of much higher value. Souls. So if you guys do have a gift, I would highly encourage you guys to sign up to volunteer at the Next Steps wall in the lobby after service. But for now, let's take a look at what the servants did with their money in verses 16 through 18. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with the two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more, but the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Point one. Complacency leads to low capacity. The first two servants were ready to run with the opportunity that their master had given them. They immediately invested the money because they knew it would be in the best interest of their master, and they knew that he desired a profit. They're excited about this opportunity and ready to learn and grow from this experience. But the third servant had a different plan. And as we dig into the rest of the passage, we'll find that it's one that really didn't work. The third servant was a low-capacity servant. He wasn't prepared to make the tough decisions required of his master. He wasn't in great communication with his master. Otherwise, he would have known that his master desired a profit. Or did he know what his master wanted? But decided to not invest the money because he thought that the one bag of silver, the 15 years' worth of wages, was good enough. Have we ever done things that we thought were good enough? 
Well, some of you may have met my husband, Bryce, and I have a picture of us on the screen here. He's super cute, isn't he? I really like him. <laughs> well, we've been married for a little over a year now, and things have been great, but our honeymoon started off a little interesting. And just so you guys know, this is actually Bryce's idea for me to use these stories as an illustration. So as soon as our wedding reception was over, we packed up our car, we got all our bags and gifts and everything we needed in the car, and we drove an hour to our hotel. There we got out, we unpacked our bags, we unpacked our gifts, we walked to the check-in counter where the lady said, ID please, to which Bryce responded by nervously patting down every pocket in his pants and then saying, crap. Because Bryce had forgotten his wallet, we drove an hour back to our wedding reception where we said hello and goodbye to all of our family and friends all over again, grabbed his wallet, went back to the car, and then drove an hour back to our hotel. The next day we woke up and we were driving to New Mexico and we needed to stop and get gas and ice. So Bryce parked the car, he started filling up the car with gas and then went to go get ice. And then he put it back in the car and then he started checking the tires and the oil and everything that guys do that I don't really know what that is. And then he sat down in the car and decided that everything was good enough. So we started on our journey south and we got about three feet before we heard a huge crash and realized we had ripped the gas hose straight out of the gas pump. Awesome. So we got out and we went and talked to the manager, got everything figured out, went back in our car, and it was good. So we started on our journey south again. And even though we didn't know exactly where we were going to be staying that night, Bryce had a couple ideas and he thought they were good enough. So as we were driving, we were starting to get tired, so we decided to pull off to destination number one. But it turns out camping wasn't allowed there. So we went to destination number two, except we didn't, because by this point, we're in the middle of nowhere and we had lost reception and I was the happiest newlywed wife ever. So destination number three was in a tent, in a ditch, on the side of a gravel road, right next to a super scary old building. It was awesome. All in all, I love my husband and he is definitely more than good enough. But as we can see, sometimes being okay with good enough can get us into a really big mess. The third servant thought that his one bag of silver was good enough. But his good enough attitude made him complacent and led him to be a low-capacity servant. God doesn't want us to be satisfied with good enough. He doesn't want us to be complacent because complacency leads to low capacity and complacency is murdering the church. The third servant became a target of complacency when he chose to bury his master's money in the ground. He didn't misuse the money, but he's simply making no use of it. Are we making use of the gifts that God has given us? Let's rephrase that. Are we making good use of the gifts that God has given us? Could we be doing more? What the servants made of this one opportunity was a measure of their capacity for more. Our capacity is not measured by the gifts that God has given us, but what we do with the gifts that he has given us. A quote from The Power of Prayer by E.M. Bounds says this, God's plan is to make much of us, far more of us than anything else. We are God's method. The church is looking for better methods, but God is looking for better people. Are we low-capacity followers of Jesus? Are we using our gifts for God? Or are we just burying them in the ground like the third servant because it's too much work or it's too risky? Why are we burying our faith as if it's already dead? Complacency is murdering the church because complacency leads to low capacity.
Moving on in our passage, Matthew 25, 19 through 25 says, After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. Point one, complacency leads to low capacity. And point two, complacency creates cowards. Right away after reading through this scripture, we see that faithful stewardship pleases the master more than an actual return on his investment. The first two servants came forward to their master in bold confidence saying, Hey master, look at the money you've given us and now we have earned even more money. And the master blessed them because of their faithfulness. But the third servant chose to neglect the money he was given because of fear. And what did he have to show for it? When he realized he had nothing new to present to his master, he said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. Reading through the par this part of the scripture in the past, I really never understood this section. Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. What was the servant trying to say? But as I dug a little de deeper and I did some more research, what I found hit me straight to the core. Instead of presenting his master with the results of his assignment, the one bag of silver, the servant tried to justify his inaction with excuses. The servant was fearful, defiant. He was defensive. Instead of taking the blame himself and asking for forgiveness, this servant said that the reason he didn't gain any interest on his money was because of the character of his master, saying that his master was impractical to serve. His master had goals that were unattainable. His master could not be pleased, and his master was impractical. He blamed his master for his own unfruitfulness. In the end, the servant really didn't think of his master as being an overly harsh man, but actually an overly gentleman who would forgive him for his disrespectful actions without actually having to own up to his own sin. How many of us do this to God? The past couple years, I've been working really hard for my first response to not be defense. There's a fine line between standing up for yourself and making excuses to justify your actions. We do it all the time, and probably most often with those closest to us, but it takes so much more strength to realize that you, I, might be at fault. And the reason this passage is so convicting to me is because I was the third servant to the very core. I told myself I was obeying God and I was doing all that he had asked me to do. 
I was taking new steps, new leadership roles, new responsibilities, but when it came to conflict, the disagreements, the hard conversations, the desire to be right, I tried to justify my actions. Deep down, I was really just a coward. Are there any cowards in the room today? In verse 25, the third servant continued speaking. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. So the situation in this passage is actually very similar to a situation that happened in the early church. So when the early church was created and more and more people were starting to accept Jesus, some of these people, after accepting him, were so afraid that they would lose their own salvation that they decided instead of serving in ministries of love where they could evangelize to their brothers and sisters in Christ, that it would be better for them to hide away in the wilderness and in caves where they can keep themselves and their salvation safe. This is horrific. Now, I don't think the reason today that we cower away in fear of evangelizing and serving our brothers and sisters is because we are afraid of losing our salvation, but because we're afraid of feeling humiliated, anxious, or hurt by others when we share our testimony and the story of Jesus. I believe this is a genuine fear, one that we don't feel like is just dismissible, but it becomes a problem when we allow this fear to dictate our thoughts and predict our actions. When we allow fear to make our decisions for us, we let fear keep us in complacency. We make fear our God, and we hide in the comfort of darkness where people can't point fingers at us. But fear is not our God. And fear is not what drives Element Church. Instead, we are driven by the same courage that Christ had when he was crucified on the cross, and we will rise to face complacency with the same power that rose him from the dead. Andy Stanley says that courage is not the absence of fear. It is the being brave in the midst of fear. Maybe you're new here and you've been attending Element for a couple weeks. Maybe you know that you want to accept Jesus, but you've been skeptical about this whole Jesus thing. Maybe fear is holding you back. You're afraid of the change he might bring into your house. You're afraid of what your spouse or friends might think or do or say to you or say about you. You're afraid of what God might do through you. But can I just say that that very fear is holding you back from one of the best decisions you will ever make. Don't let fear be what dictates your thoughts and predicts your actions. But if you're here today, and you believe in Jesus, then we should be on the same page, that we are on this earth to reach the lost. But if you think that we're on this earth to call unbelievers out of a life that leads to corruption and into a life that leads to Christ, then we need to call ourselves out of a complacent faith that leads to a corrupted faith and into a courageous faith that represents Christ. We need to be convicted by our own complacency and rise together to fight the war for our souls. Complacency is murdering the church. What would happen if we chose not to fight against it? Revelation 21, six through eight says, it is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. 
To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Did you notice the first group mentioned here? Cowards. Point one, complacency leads to low capacity. Point two, complacency creates cowards. And point three, complacency comes at a cost. Matthew 25, 26 through 30 says, but the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I love the way the message version words this same text. Verse 26 in the message reads, the master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? We think God will justify our laziness because our lives have been so hard. We tell ourselves, well, at least I didn't do what those people did. At least I didn't screw up like they did. At least I didn't sin. But didn't we? Maybe the sin in our hearts was unrecognizable. A life-threatening sickness we didn't know was there. Maybe we're all just people labeled as Christians waiting in stagnant water. Do we really think that God will be pleased with our inaction? Our main text told us that those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. It would have been better for the third servant to have lost all of his money through investing it rather than do nothing because now he still has nothing. You might ask, well, why is it so important to the master that he gains interest on his money? Does this mean that he's a greedy master? In a sense, yes. The Greek root word of interest used in this verse is tikto, meaning to give birth or bring forth offspring. The interest that God desires of our work in faith is his offspring, for his children to know him. God, our master, is greedy for our hearts, not in a sinful way, but in a loving, jealous way. In the Old Testament, we see that he is a jealous God because he desperately longs that our hearts would desire him and not all the other things around us distracting us from the only one who really matters. In the New Testament, the shepherd leaves the 99 of the sheep in the wilderness to go and find the one. Jesus will not return until as many of his children come to know him. And that's why the interest is so important. Compound interest is the ripple effect of our faith. 
just like the servants were called to give an account of how they had used their master's money, we will have to give an account of how we spent our time on this earth. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't want God's first words to me to be, you wicked and lazy servant. But if we live in complacency, that's where we're finding ourselves. Living a life where we could have done more, but didn't because we thought it was good enough. And in the end, having to pay the cost. Complacency comes at a cost. No, I desperately long for those who I love who are living in complacency to step up to the plate, to leave behind their world of comfortable faith and see that there is so much more value in a relationship with God than never plateaus. The hope I have for these people and the only hope I have for myself is grace. When I realized I was living in complacency and I was only getting by in my relationship with Jesus, I felt so much shame until I remembered that all I had to do was ask for forgiveness and God willingly and lovingly gave me his gift of grace. When God saw that the world was hurting and broken, he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross and raised to life in three days because he was a perfect sacrifice and the only way to pay the ultimate price for our sins so that we could live in heaven with God forever by his grace. God's grace is so important because without it, we have to pay the cost. Complacency costs us. It costs us courage, productivity, growth. It costs us our friends, family, marriages, opportunities, willpower, time, and experiences. It's costing our children who were raised as church kids but grew up with a complacent faith thinking that they know who this Jesus is and are satisfied with their relationship with Christ, but really don't understand how to follow him. It's costing those who have always been interested in Jesus and met some Christians and wanted to learn about who this Jesus really is. But the Christian's complacent faith and lack of love caused them to never want to step foot into a church building. Hebrews 10, 26 through 27 says, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we've received the knowledge of truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. And so there's no other way around it. It's costing us our eternity. What cost are we willing to pay for complacent faith. Waiting in stagnant water is comfortable. And if we're being honest with ourselves, being comfortable is probably where we desire to be most. But if we don't start to take the steps to follow the stream where Jesus leads us, then our pool of water will grow stale. Bacteria and disease will start to take over as we start to decay within without realizing the murderer in our midst. But we can't keep doing this. We can't stay comfortable. So if you're here today and you've been thinking, that's me. I am the third servant. And you know that in order to grow your relationship with Jesus, that you have to step out of the darkness and rise up against complacency. If that's you today, 
Would you be bold enough to step out of complacency right now and raise your hand where you are? Awesome. Keep those hands raised. If you're near someone who has raised a hand, would you extend a hand out to them right now as we pray together? Lord Jesus, pour out your power and strength on us. Stepping out of complacency is hard, so we ask that you would go before us and give us the courage and confidence that we need to fight against the lies of the devil. God, we ask that Satan would have no foothold and no longer have access to our minds. Break down the walls of complacency and comfortable living that we have clung to and instead give us the comfort of your grace. We ask this all in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for being brave. Having the humility to recognize our complacency is the first step in defeating it. Some next steps for you might be to ask God how he wants you to grow. Are there things he's calling you to that make your stomach churn? Maybe he wants you to use your gifts to sign up to volunteer, to start or join a small group, to seek out an accountability partner, to call up an old friend and tell them about Jesus, or to meet a new one and invite them to church. Whatever it may be, the important part is taking the next step. For some of you, that next step might be giving your life to Jesus. Earlier I mentioned that Jesus came and died for us so that we would be set free. Because our sin comes at a cost, a price had to be paid, so Jesus paid that for us. So if you want to give your life to Jesus today, would you pray this prayer with me? God, thank you for paying the cost of my sin. Jesus, thank you for having the courage to be crucified on the cross and the power to raise from the dead in three days so that I can have hope. Jesus, I believe in you, and I want to follow you, so I give my life to you. I confess all my sins to you, all I have ever done. Help me to turn from my old life. Thanks for loving me. I'll do my best to love you back. Amen. I've prayed that prayer before, and so have many of us in this room. So if you just prayed this prayer, you are now a part of the family, and we would love to celebrate that. So if you just prayed that prayer today, would you do something very bold and in a safe environment and raise your hand where you are? Awesome. I see you. I see you. Awesome. Thank you for stepping out and for not letting fear get in the way. Accepting Jesus will be one of the best decisions you ever make and one of the hardest ones to live out. So let's pray to close today, and then I have a couple closing announcements for you guys. Lord, thank you for this message on complacency. God, I ask that this would be a topic that doesn't just cause us to think, but one that causes us to act. Reveal to us what your next steps are for each of us individually, so we don't settle for being good enough Christians, but followers of Jesus that are fighting against the complacency that is murdering the church. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen. Awesome. If you're a first-time guest, please do not forget to stop by the living room on your way out so we can answer any questions you have and give you that free gift. And also, if you're in need of prayer, we have an awesome prayer team located at the back of the auditorium at the Purple Tents. So that's all I have for you guys this morning. Have a great week.